Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 295 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsors. First of all, we'd like to thank NOTA, powered by M&T Bank. NOTA is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit TrustNOTA.com forward slash legal to learn more. That's N-O-T-A, NOTA. Terms and conditions may apply. Next, we'd like to thank Colonial Surety Company Bonds and Insurance for bringing you this podcast. Whatever court bonds you need, get a quote and purchase online at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. And we'd like to thank ServeNow, a nationwide network of trusted pre-screened process servers. Work with the most professional process servers who have experience with high-volume serves, embrace technology, and understand the litigation process. Visit ServeNow.com to learn more. And with so many new podcasts announcing their debut and first podcast these days, as we rapidly approach our 300th episode, we occasionally like to mention at 15 years and counting, this is the longest continuously running legal tech podcast out there. Speaking of our 300th episode, if you have ideas for it that uh, you'd like for us to consider, or if you've got a question that we can answer in the B segment, because we really would love to spend our B segment of our 300th episode Connecting with our fans, connecting with listeners, uh, connecting with people who have questions. Remember, we have a voice mailbox, that very high-tech voice mailbox for you. Um, the number there is 720-441-6820. In our last episode, we had a great conversation with our friend Debbie Foster of Affinity Consulting about what is actually happening on the ground in legal tech as we reach the 18-month point in the pandemic. In this episode, we wanted to do a follow-up on episode 293, where we discussed document automation. For me, document automation leads you directly to productization of legal services, and that's what we want to talk about in this show. Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about the productization of legal services. And because this is something you happen to know a little about, I will be interviewing you uh, about the topic. In our second segment, we're going to take a look at what we've heard about the recent ILTA hybrid conference, and we're going to take generally the temperature of legal tech conferences, hybrid or not. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, productization of legal services. As Dennis mentioned, we see this as a follow-up to our show on document automation. Uh, Dennis does so much in this area that I just wanted to interview him and ask him some questions. To me, thinking logically, productization sounds like you're turning legal services into actual products. Dennis, is it that simple, or is there a better definition that you want to give to get us started? Well, I, I think the, the concept is there, uh, and another way to think of it is you're taking uh, something that you're doing is 
in providing legal services and turning it from a one-to-one experience to a one-to-many experience for you. So it's almost like you're you're doing something once and you're uh, making that reusable many, many times and that you may be able to package that as a uh, product that you uh, charge people for. You may be able to uh, package as an enhanced service uh, that you give away to people, but it's it's really sort of taking a service approach, and, and we'll, we'll give some examples, but you're taking something you do as a service that you're probably doing over and over again and saying, um, there are clients who can use this and they would be willing to pay for a product or usage of, of something that they see as a product rather than paying me thousands of dollars to have have a meeting and and provide information and get the same deliverable out of it. So document automation is that classic example where somebody can answer a set of questions and then produce a, a document, a, a filled out form, other things, and then you can charge uh, people for that as a service. So that's how I, that's how I typically think of, of productization. So why are we suddenly talking about this? I, you know, to be honest, when I think of the term productize and productization, these are not words that I'd heard until the last year or two, maybe a couple of years. And I tried to look up the origin of the words to figure out how long they've been there. And to be honest, there's not a lot out there except to hear that these are, I don't want to say made up business terms, but they seem like they've been made up for that purpose. So, I mean, where did this come from and why are we just kind of, why is it kind of now either the hot thing or the thing people seem to be talking about? Well, I'm guessing that since, um, the uh, not being critical of anyone, but since the ABA uh, website lost the uh, the my uh, seminal 2014 article on productization of legal services, you might not have found it in your Google search. But I've written about it before, and I think you saw some of it definitely in in the the late 90s, where people were saying, "Can we do something that allows?" clients or consumers to do something online to provide data and then produce something out of it, like I said, either a document or a filing. So a classic example in the late 90s in in the UK, non-contested divorces you could do by going online and uh, you know filling out the information and, and generating the form. So I think it's been around for a while. I think the reason you don't hear that much about it is because you know, try saying productization uh, three or four times in a row and you realize what an unwieldy and awkward uh, word it is. But I think it's it's been around. I think there's more focus on it now because people think, uh, and the better way made to think about it is, is sort of, and this is just an awkward, as awkward a word, but appification of legal services. So can we create an app? And now that we're in a world where it's so much easier to create apps I think people think in terms of products and you're just starting to see more examples from, uh, you know, something that helps with uh, somebody on evictions to to simple family matters to to more complex, uh, you know, business filings. So you, you see a fair amount of it. And that's uh, that's why I think you're hearing more about it. But I, I think it's the sort of thing where people are saying, if I do products as opposed to services, then potentially some somebody will fund my efforts. So that's one piece about it. 
I, so I think you're right. It is something that um, you want to describe what you're doing in kind of a businessy way that's attractive uh, to to the market right now. So I want to come back to what I think are kind of the connotations of the word appification in a minute. But I want to ask to follow up on something that you were just saying. You were kind of giving a few examples of kinds of products that might be created. What are the what are the main areas of law that sort of lend themselves to this? And what where, what are the areas that, that, that productization would be especially useful to? I think document automation is clearly one of them. But what else do we need to keep in mind? Well, some of the areas where you've seen the efforts uh, happen are estate planning, uh, family law, uh, small business, uh, a small business uh, practice where you're doing like standard corporate uh, forms and documents. Seen a fair amount in uh, in what I call the general access to justice area, but you may see immigration, the eviction, what's going on with evictions now. Um, is another thing. You see some things that are sort of responsive to what people are doing. So there's there's a need for a lot of people to do things, um, and they're not they're not that sophisticated of legal work, and people don't want to spend thousands of dollars, and lawyers can't generate the volume. So there was the. Uh, the uh, the PPP program with COVID, for example, uh, where people could do filings and now you can get uh, uh, forgiveness. And that's apparently 52% of businesses have not uh, done the paperwork needed to get that that forgiven. That's a place where you say, oh, I could create this online app that allows people to uh, complete the forms and or gather the information and put everything together for uh, to do that. And uh, I might put that up there for free, sometimes in the access justice space, or I might say, hey, it's $25 to do this or $50 to do this. And um, if you get several hundred people doing that, um, it's actually a, a very worthwhile project. Uh, plus, it helps a lot of people. So I'm a lawyer. I have a service that I provide to a, a client or a couple of clients. I want to think about productizing that service. What are the steps? How do I get started? What's What do I need to think about first and then next? To me, there's a couple tip-off factors. And so one is where am I doing a lot of volume of repetitive work? Um, second, um, I think is really important is where am I writing off time already? So if you say, I'm doing this stuff for people, but I don't really charge them for it. I don't feel I can charge them for a, a simple corporate document or I can't I can't justify charging like two hours of time for like a simple will or a durable power of attorney. Um, and you say it's actually a very standard document. And if I could price it at a at a low rate, maybe or even give it away free, then then I can provide a higher uh, a different form of service um, that people are more willing to pay for. Because uh, actually, a lot of clients believe that lawyers just press a button and spit out automated forms that are just only slightly customized. So I think you're looking. You need both volume. Um, and something that's not profitable for you and then something that you would say, oh, I would like to, I, I think a lot of people will be interested in this, um, and, but it's, it doesn't scale for me if I deliver it in person. So I can't do like 
7,000, you know, let's say 10,000 durable powers of attorney in the year if I have 10, because I can't get 10,000 clients. But if I put it up on a website and say, you know, people can can pay $50 and generate their powers of attorney, um, then potentially I could have 10,000 customers. So that's, those are sort of the things. So there's a sort of, uh, What's what's standard, very standardized, where there's a lot of volume and where uh, people might be willing to pay uh, small amounts of money, but they're not willing to pay you for, you know, sort of the full freight legal services um, that's going to run, like I said, several, you know, probably several thousand dollars worth of time. Okay, so we've got a listener out there who has got an idea. They've got a service. They, they it's in an area. They they kind of are ready to get started. Can they do it on their own? Are there tools out there that help them do this? Um, what what are the you, you kind of gone through the process that needs to happen? But you know, are there any tools or services out there that can help somebody work walk through the process? Well, when we go back to the last episode, Tom, when you were saying there are like more than 100 document automation uh, tools out there. So there's there's plenty of tools. Some of those tools will help you create your own tools. So I guess that's maybe what you're talking about is those services that allow you when they do the no code, create your own type service. But not all of them do that. I mean, a lot of them are just their own discrete. We provide document assembly services and there's, it's still our proprietary technology that you're using to create a document, right? I mean, it's not all stuff that you can productize your own stuff with, right? Well, so what you're, what you're typically looking at is, yeah, so let me, let me kind of answer the other side of that. So there's a bunch of tools out there you'd have to do deal due diligence. There are some standard tools, uh, some of the ones we talked about on on the earlier podcast, but you're sort of looking at something that um, there's a there's a flow to it. Uh, so you have a process that you can map out. So it's kind of like first this step, this step. Um, if you make this choice, then these things happen, or you have, uh, you know, blanks that you need to fill. But you, something you can map out. So it's almost like if you can map out this process. So you'd say, uh, for for example, uh, you say if I want to get, um, and I don't know the details on this, but say uh, it takes you know six steps to do a name change, and you have to collect different information. Um, then you'd say, if, if I can map that out, I understand that process, then I can create, um, and it has a deliverable at the end, something gets filed with the court, then I can actually create an app where I will typically, through like a guided interview, uh, ask people to give me the information, you know, answer a set of questions, and at the end, it will spit out the the form that they need to take to the court to get that name changed. So you're looking at things also where there's a there's a process or it's just a simple filling in in the blanks. And so what I look for these days is uh, uh, not to give away something that I'm working on, but I, I will sort of is that people have are dying with cryptocurrency and sometimes that's held by third parties and it's people just don't know. So anybody who's an executor now won't know what to do with that. Well, in the case of one of the the crypto uh, third party holders, they actually have like a six or seven part process 
And so you could envision an app that uh, walks people through those steps and then generates the email that they need uh, to send uh, to this third-party service provider that will get the uh, uh, the the transfer of the cryptocurrency done. And that's a nice app uh, because you could say I it's it's really simple. It helps people out. Um, they don't know what to do otherwise. I mean, nobody knows what to do with this stuff. And if you say, hey, for $50, this will give you the email that you need to send and uh, do that first before you hire a lawyer uh, in case you run into any trouble. That's an example to me of an app where there's like a nice a workflow process that you can you can follow and basically take people through. So um, the front end um, is sometimes described as a structured interview or a guided interview that's designed to get uh, your uh, your client or your customer to provide the information rather than to spend an hour uh, you know talking with you uh, as a lawyer who's taking notes and trying to get names spelled right and those kinds of things. So those are some of the things I look at it as well. And then it just becomes like, well, what's what's a great tool for mapping out flow? And it could be a piece of paper and a ruler. Uh, or if you're a good drawer, it could be that. And then once you have that, then you move to the document automation tools um, and say, oh, I can I can learn one of these. Um, and there's, you know, there's things like hot docs that have been around forever. And there are also some newer tools. And some of the newer tools that are cloud-based will actually host your application. So you could, your product could be a web-based application from day one. So I'm going to ask what may be, Maybe a controversial question. Maybe it's not controversy at all. Um, but as I was preparing this, as I was kind of reading through the things you wanted to talk about as part of this, um, one of the things that came to mind was um, um, a website that I follow called Product Hunt. Um, it is a site where developers can launch their new app or service, um, and it gets tons of attention. It's a place for startup apps to go, and literally hundreds of new products launch there every single week, and you can vote them up or vote them down, and the ones that are most popular get the most votes. I like to keep up with new stuff, so I've tried to, I try to go through them every week, and as I go through a lot of them, there are just a lot of garbage new apps that are out there. Um, they're not well thought out. It's clear they don't have support behind them. Um, they're sloppy. If they were legal apps, they would not give the client a lot of confidence as to the quality of the person who put them together and whether you're getting a truly high quality legal product. And so, you know, I'm wondering, and we haven't really talked about all the benefits of, of creating the apps, but I'm, I'm wondering if the notion of productization is going to lead to a flood of crappy legal apps that will flood the market that people are going to say, Hey, I've got this idea for an app and they start, everybody starts putting these things out. Um, and so I guess the question is, how do you prevent that? Um, it, you know, is, it's one thing to have a crappy online to-do list, you know, that product hunt has, it's another one to have an app that could, that's crappy, that could have potential, ethical implications, you know, is that, is that something we worry about? Or is that, you know, would somebody say that's just the cost of innovation that we fail fast and we want people to try and we'll never know until we have a thousand crappy apps out there that there are good ones. I mean, how do we avoid that sort of thing from happening? Well, I mean, it's one of those compared to what issues for me. It's like uh, when you look at these apps, people are 
uh, always comparing to the mythical perfect lawyer uh, who, um, if you talk to people who who deal with lawyers or other lawyers who deal with lawyers, it's uh, you you think that there's probably not even one competent lawyer out there because everybody's saying, oh, the person I uh, who did this before was terrible. Um, so, so I think that you have to say, okay, so realistically, all lawyers are not perfect. Uh, so that's going to be one thing. You're also, I think, in the the product world, you're looking at things that are very limited applications. So it's not a to do list. You're saying here's something that allows you to produce the form that you need to file, or give you a simple type of agreement, or uh, you know, uh, Stripe, the company, uh, payments company, has a great set of tools that allows uh, new corporations to do standard corporate agreements. And you say, well, um, that's working. On the other hand, so you have lawyers that people might not even afford whose quality is unknown. But what people are doing is they're going on the Internet and finding something that's called the same name and treating that as a template, you know, like, oh, here's this lease agreement. I'll use that. And anybody who's worked with a contractor, like a, a house contractor or something, you look at the agreement they use and they say, I found this on the Internet. And you just want to go like, you know, this is like not <laughs> these terms aren't even close to being in your favor. So I think you say we're living in this world. We got eighty percent of the people who either, you know, trying to do stuff on their own without knowing what they're doing, or they can't afford a lawyer. Um, so if I'm doing something that says here are these kind of simple applications um, that are in a part of. Uh, you know, uh, that help people do some things that probably lawyers cannot uh, do for people uh, either profitably or they would charge something that would just just make uh, a client faint. Those are the areas that you're looking for. And there's also an area I call the legal adjacent or pre-legal, where you could say, if I have an app that allows people to gather information um, in one place and answer a set of questions before they go talk to a lawyer or before um, they do something else, maybe that's not even, I'm not even touching on the area of practice of law. It's just really kind of a preparation application. That's an interesting um, area to area to me. But I, I think, you know, once we... Once you start to think about that 80%, or I recently heard it's even 86% of people who can't afford legal services or, or you know, are going to have to do it on their own, I think we just have to look at apps as a, actually a really interesting option. And that's why you're seeing more, more of them developed in the access to justice area lately. So that's the first question that you haven't really answered for me, which is, which is, yes, we're seeing these apps, but there's no guarantee that they're, I mean, just because it's about a simple issue doesn't mean it's not going to be a crappy app. I mean, we're, we're giving people with not very great technical skills, even though these tools are simple, um, there's no guarantee that they won't design a crappy app. And what I'm hearing is it's better than the alternative. We're just going to agree to disagree on that on that particular on that particular issue there. I, I I'm concerned about that potential. Now the other on the other hand, well, I, I will say that a lot of the the online document automation tools uh, do produce an, a nice interface and a professional looking product. But I I think you're right. You know, it's it's. Uh, if you structure it wrong, you don't answer the right questions, your logic flow is messed up, it's not going to be a good app. 
I think you're right. If you're going with a company that has already developed a, a, fr- a, a framework for you to work in and that you're really just adding your knowledge to that, that's one thing. Um, but I hear you saying that the appification or the productization could also be, hey, I'm a lawyer, but guess what? This site lets me become my own coder. I'm going to code my own app and do it on my own. That's included too. That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about that sort of thing happen too. I would say the same thing because that to me seems crazy. If, if I can do a no-code approach, you know, using a, you know, tool like After Pattern or Brighter or one of these things, and uh, you know, then I, and I limit what I'm doing because, uh, you know, back uh, we talked about this before, right? Thirty years ago, when I did this, I I was like as close to coding as you get as a lawyer, and it was not like a great use of of time, and the results aren't the same as you can get now. So I would say, like, if you're thinking about coding an app. It makes no sense to me. Now, and so, so let's be clear. And this is trying not to offend our listeners with this, but you hear me and Dennis talking all the time about how far behind lawyers are on learning technology. Um, how I mean, you're gonna, you're about to tell me that anybody can become an instant genius using Brighter. I disagree with that. I'm not sure that everybody can use it the same way that you could use it, or that I could use it, or that any. I, I would say, I'm not even talking about doing the type of coding that you were doing 30 years ago. I mean, using these tools. I I'm skeptical about. I'm gonna move on from that because we're gonna run out of time. I want let's let's. I, I've got kind of two questions to end this. I want to say one. What we haven't really talked about too much is. Um, how does this benefit the lawyer? What are the what are the things that can happen for lawyers who choose to productize some of their services? Yeah, I guess I'll just start there. What are what are some of the ways and reasons why this is a good thing that lawyers should be doing, despite the fact that it w- the clients will benefit? How does this benefit the lawyer? So I think as a lawyer, there are really significant benefits. And so one is diversification of your revenue streams. So you're adding additional uh, streams of revenue. So if you're doing some apps and they generate, let's say, 10 to 20,000 a year and you're doing a number of them, that can make the difference between, you know, surviving in some cases. It can make, you know, your retirement more possible. There are those things. Um, with a product, you you do enter the world of making money while you sleep uh, because in on some of the platforms, you will literally get an email uh, saying, like, this money has been deposited to your bank account and, you know, overnight. And that's great. Uh, the other thing is it gives you the ability to deliver your expertise and assistance to, to more people than you can by hours. So you say, I'm really knowledgeable on this. I'd like to help more people, but I can't if I'm charging for hours. I can do, uh, you know, one person and serve many more, uh, many more clients, help more people. And then a uh, really interesting aspect for me is that uh, you can continue your professional legacy. So you can say, like, I had this expertise, I created this, and when I retire, if all I have is my law practice and the time, you know, my time approach, when I retire, it's kind of over. But if I've created these apps, it's potentially a nice retirement annuity. And if I and I can, I can build these things out 
And, you know, once you figure out how to do one app, it's, uh, you know, the next ones you do get easier and you may have customers say, oh, you've provided this app that allowed me to change my name with the court. Uh, can you now help me do the thing that I need to do to uh, get the name changed with Social Security Office and, and other things? And you go, oh, that's another app. And I charge somebody five bucks for that or 10 bucks for that. Um, and and so I, th I think those are the things where you're saying like, all I have is, if all I have is time and my only income is coming from services, I, in this current world, I'm in the worst possible place because I have undiversified income. And I'm just trying to create these kind of multiple streams of revenue and products become one part, potentially for some people, of a portfolio as paid speaking or other things might be uh, for other lawyers. And that's where it becomes interesting, especially for lawyers who have a lot of specialized expertise who are looking to, to wind down their career. So all of those areas are interesting. And I also see it, it with, with new lawyers as well, where they can say, I can, I can do some kind of app and maybe it's the difference between me, you know, being able to hire, uh, you know, a paralegal or something else. It just gives me just like one more thing that uh, will bring in income if times get tough. And I think that's as good a place to wrap up as any. Thanks, Dennis, for teaching me and everybody about productization. Look forward to hearing more about that over the next few episodes. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsors. Wish you could get a quote and purchase an appeal, trustee, estate, or any other court or fiduciary bond quickly online? Colonial Surety Company has every bond you need and is a direct insurer that's U.S. Treasury listed, licensed in all 50 states and territories, and rated A excellent by AM Best, so you can be confident it's a trusted resource. Get started at colonialsurety.com forward slash podcast. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of NOTA, a no-cost IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnota.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local, pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry, connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and it's time for a segment we call Hot or Not. We pick something people are talking about and argue whether we think it is a hot topic that you need to pay attention to or it's not so hot. We might agree, but the odds are that we won't. So let's get started. Tom, so much talk the last week or so about what worked and didn't work about the annual ILTA Legal Tech Conference that was held partly in person in Las Vegas and partly online in a hybrid format. Now that we're starting to get some actual data on these hybrid conferences, or are hybrid conferences hot or not? 
I think the answer from my standpoint is neither. Um, Hybrid conferences are a reality, whether or not they might be hot. And although I think this conversation could devolve quickly into a discussion about what it would take to end a pandemic, the fact is I think a hybrid conferences are to borrow uh, I would say an overused phrase, going to be the new normal for a while, if not for the long haul. Um, I think something about the past two years have changed the ways that some of us want to interact with the rest of the world. Some people will prefer to never travel to a conference again if they can get a meaningful experience online. Um, And I think conferences are going to continue to offer a hybrid option, at least until in-person numbers give them excuse to tell their virtual audiences, sorry, we're not going to do it. I'm still not sure that they're even going to do that after the fact. But let's talk briefly about ILTA. I I, I think this was... This is really the first legal tech conference to have an in-person component in the past 18 months, and I'm glad that they did it. Uh, Whether or not it was financially successful for them, it was a good test of what people would do, and I applaud them for having done it. I think from what I've heard, they had all the right precautions in place. They required vaccinations. You know, it turned out my company, we had a, we had one of my, one of my colleagues um, was speaking and they wound up not letting him speak because he only recently got vaccinated uh, and he hadn't had his vaccines long enough to qualify. So we had to put someone else on his, in his place on the panel um, to do it. So they had the right precautions in place. Um, I, I heard that they're one of the Vendors might have been using, and I don't know if it was ILTA or the vendors, I heard a rumor that they were using red, yellow, and green bracelets to signify how comfortable you were with being close to people at the conference. Green means bring it on, give me a hug. Yellow means ask me before you shake hands, and red means stay off. I, I wanted socially distance from you, which I like that. I think that's a great idea. We are all living in a different version of reality here. Um, I don't think everybody saw the bracelets, though, that I keep hearing about. So I don't know if they were there. I, I th- but I think it's a great innovative, innovative way to deal with a newly sensitive issue that's never been an issue in the past. I think the reported in-person attendance was somewhere in the 800s. But, you know, frankly, all conferences count their attendees in different ways. Um, and I've heard that actual non-vendor, non-staff paying attendees was much less than that. I mean, the the, the session that, that my, my uh, colleagues uh, spoke in, there were only 15 people in the audience, although there were a lot more online. Um, But I've heard multiple accounts of the vendor floors were fairly empty most of the time. I've heard varying accounts of how that affected the vendors. But I don't think the vendors should be all that surprised about it. I mean, this is these conferences are going to be tough on vendors for a while. And I think that's just the unfortunate truth. And none of that surprises me. People, I think, just aren't ready to be in person yet. Um, It is what it is, but I'm glad ILTA did it. I think it gives the rest of the legal tech world some idea of how to move forward on the idea of conferences. So I'm glad that this kind of happened. I think it needed to happen. Dennis, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I I struggle with where to rate this. Um, I am... I have a number of concerns uh, from from what I'm seeing, and I'll, I'll talk about that in, in in a second. I think that there was this approach kind of before Delta really took root that um, a lot of this is going to be more possible. And I've been on like a number of calls for people like, I can't wait till we're in person at the next meeting. And then things really happened in negative in a negative way over the summer. So... You're, on a conference, you have to commit to this stuff. And so it was, It was. I think, 
you know, probably in the spring, maybe even early summer, was not a bad uh, a bad approach. And so it's it's worth trying it. And we and we get some data from from the the experiment. So what I notice is that I think that the approach that we're taking to the hybrid format is what I feel is not hot. So I think if we say let's rethink conferences um, and what hybrid means and what in-person means and what the value really is, I'm afraid that we might be missing um, some important things. So I just started teaching a class in person, uh, first time in you know well over a year, uh, a year and a half. And I told the students, I said, hey, if we're going to be here in person, then the idea of me lecturing to you the whole time or the standard approach doesn't make sense. We need to, uh, and I'm going to try this, to actively flip the classroom um, so that what we do is more is way more group work, lots more discussion, and minimize the lecture. And so it puts the emphasis on preparing ahead of time. So what I saw in the hybrid, uh, some of the hybrid things I've seen is that the hybrid is basically one camera capturing a panel conversation. And so like the first thing I saw Ilto was a panel and there was somebody introducing it in a tuxedo. And I was like, oh my God, if I paid thousands of dollars to go to back to a standard panel discussion, uh, that would be a problem. We're not taking advantage of anything that we learn from the online world and some of the things that we can do. So I am, I'm struggling with this. I think that we're we're going to end up at a good place in a mixed approach. Um, I just think that uh, right now we're people are so. Uh, so much want to get back to in-person and the way it was that we're maybe uh, going back to some of the worst of things before and not taking advantages of the way that we could move forward. So now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. We continue to talk about document automation, and I there was a tip that from our earlier episode um, we completely missed, which I would say um, is kind of the the most basic of document automation tools, and it's something that I actually don't use, which is why I didn't mention it, but it was pointed out to me um, since we did the last podcast, and that is the Windows V command. When you hit Windows V, that will bring up your entire clipboard history. And so uh, the, 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 the recommendation was um, to save several things in there that are part of automation. Put a signature line, put a paragraph in there, and you've got a list of your history. You just select an item in your history to paste it, and it goes down to get, capture the last 20, 30 different things that you happen to co copy, and it's all right there in a Windows V. So um, the, the easiest way to automate things is to just uh, go back to what you've got in your copy history and hit the Windows slash V key. The Windows key plus a lot of things um, brings magic uh, to the to your Windows world. Dennis. You do like a whole tip session just on the, the Windows approach and the, and the, the, the similar thing in, in Apple as, as well. And the, in, the, in the ancient days of document assembly, that used to be referred to as the point and shoot approach. 
know, where you're just like grabbing something you need and, and popping it in uh, through, you know, one or two keystrokes. So I have, I have two things. Uh, so one is related to what we just talked about, productization, which is a new project I'm working on um, called Exponential.Legal. And it's at www.exponential.legal, where uh, with uh, a couple of partners, we've put together uh, our complete approach to developing uh, applications and products of uh, based on legal services from idea to the actual product launch. And we've done that as a, as a course. Uh, if that's something that interests you, uh, we're proud of what we've done. I think it's really useful. It will give you a completely different way of, of looking through all the aspects of creating a, a, a product. So uh, take, a, take a look at that. The other thing is that uh, last semester I did, uh, and my research assistants at Michigan State did an, a number of uh, online webinars, interview shows, other things. And I put, I have the videos uh, now up on the, uh, the, uh, the Michigan State Center for Law, Technology, and Innovation video resources page. And so there's a full three-hour uh, webinar on virtual reality in the practice of law and uh, several great interviews. And uh, Tom, will, this will be, the URL will be in the show notes. But uh, I think some really, really great stuff on, on there. So if you like watching videos or are interested in some of the topics, uh, I highly recommend that. And we'll be doing even more of it going forward. So. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site, where you can find archives of all of our previous shows along with transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can reach out to us on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And remember, like I said at the top of the episode, you can please leave us a voicemail at 720 720- Four four one six eight two zero. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts, and we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.